The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello everyone and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of Provoke, and I'm joined today by Stan Gatui, the Africa director of global philanthropy organisation Luminate, to talk about a new report on the barriers to collaboration between strategic comms firms, funders and change agents such as non-profits, activists and community groups. Stan, welcome to the Provoke Podcast. Um, thank you so much, and thank you for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, first of all, can you tell us a bit about your background, your your role at Luminate, and what the organization's aims are? Um, thank you. A bit about myself. Um, based in Nairobi, Kenyan-born. I've done a few things the last few years. I've done investment consulting, investment management, strategy consulting. Uh, but I've always had a keen interest in mission-driven work in the governance sector. Um and I've been with Luminate for about five years now. Um, Luminate is a global philanthropic organization that works um, to ensure that everyone, especially those who have been excluded in the past, have a voice and opportunity to influence decisions um, that affect their lives. Um, we're active in three main regions, Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And we also have a global program uh, team that does work that is cross-cutting across these regions and in other issues uh, across the globe. Okay, fantastic. So it's a, it's a big scope, and your new report, Winning Hearts and Minds, is a, uh, is a similarly big piece of work. Can you tell us how this came about and why you've put this together? Uh, sure thing. So we've been active in Africa for about 10 years now. We've funded uh, hundreds of grantees, um, some names that are known to you and other people in this space. Um, so groups like uh, Debunk Media in Kenya, Steers Media in Nigeria, uh, Bikabal Media. Um, and over the last few years, we've witnessed how public campaigning and advocacy has led to major changes around the world, um, in Africa, but also in Kenya. And it was obvious to us that effective communications is critical um, to knocking on the right doors, whispering to the right ears, and leading to the change um, not just from our work, but also within the organizations and the change agents that we work with. Um, but we also saw that many of the change agents that we work with do not prioritize communications in their work. Um, and we found that we had a suspicion, a lot of this information was anecdotal. Um, so we thought to commission a piece of research to understand why this was the case, uh, but also to build evidence on one, the fact that this was not something that was prioritized, uh, but also to give us a bit more evidence on how to centralize strategic communications, uh, the impact of any work that our grantees do. Um, it's also a role as a funder. Um, we always take the view that we're a partner. So outside the funding that we give, we want to maximize opportunities for our grantees to succeed. Um, we've done this work in financial management and other elements of work. And we also found that strategic communications needs to be supported as a core function um, within an organization. Um, and we also had some anecdotes of this having worked in other spaces. Um, so I'll tell you a short story about an island in Kenya um, called Lamu uh, that has a small population that survives from fishing and tourism. 
And a few years ago, there was a plan uh, to build a coal plant not too far from that that would have disrupted operations on the island and the long-term effects of this would have been devastating. A lot of work was done in public participation in the policy space, uh, but there's a campaign that was run uh, that was called the Decolonize Campaign. And this did a few things. One, it humanized um, the issue at hand, but it was also in language that was very easy for the citizens to understand. Uh, but also for decision makers. Um, and we feel that the successes of work like Decolonize um, has a space for what we do in the impact sector as well. Um, so this report was to help us a bit further down on that journey and to ensure that any hypotheses that we had were also informed by evidence. Okay, fantastic. Who do, who's the report for? Who do you hope reads it? Uh, this report? Mm-hmm. Um, a few target audiences. So obviously... Uh, first of all, was uh, the change agents that we work with. Um, and for them to understand that they need to have dedicated staff, time and space for this. Um, we also took the view that other funders in the space needed to be uh, readers of this and to have access to the information that we had. Um, so how do they also push their grantees and the change agents to work with to hire staffers, to hire agencies, and to create effective comms and advocacy campaigns that are uh, useful to their work. And then the third audience we had were communication firms. And so appreciating that many of these organizations are businesses, um, it was for us to also make it clear that they benefit when they collaborate with non-for-profit actors. Um, so not just on the financial side, but also they have a role to play in what we believe are strong ecosystems. Um, so how do they contribute to the economy, to the community where they're living in? How do they increase awareness? And how do their organizations become better storytellers? Um, so those are the three main audiences that we were targeting with this report. Okay, so what are the problems with how things are done at the moment? You talk a lot about a fragmented <laughs> ecosystem in the report. So as I mentioned, there's three main audiences that we had for this report. So the comms agencies, we had the funders, and we had the change agents. Uh, there's not enough platforms where these three actors come together to discuss strategic communications. Um, so that's what we felt was fragmented. Um, so it's how do we create space for public discourse? Um, how do we ensure this is grounded in evidence? Um, but it's also to highlight that a lot of these organizations, much as they're working in different spaces, are aligned in terms of the change we want to see and the impact we're trying to create. Well, so so as to increased access to information for them, uh, but also we'll provide a platform for them to have these discussions. Um, the launch event was one example of that. So I think that was the first time that we had about 60 people in the room from these three different facets of life, um, uh, different actors in the space. Um, and a lot of the discussions there were fairly organic. There was It was very clear that, um, I wouldn't say a lack of awareness, but there were things that were coming to the surface in terms of the friction and how they work together and a lack of understanding about the different roles that these organizations play. Um, so we saw the report as one piece that informed that, uh, but we're hoping that over the next few months and years that we can continue having these discussions in this, um, whether it's in live spaces, whether it's on forums like this podcast, um, that allow us to understand how strategic, strategic communications um, comes into the work that we do in the impact sector. So hopefully it will be a springboard to to further conversation and and mutual understanding before between all your your audiences. 
can you i mean it when you read through it i mean the lots of the examples are from from um uh uh, Africa, but this it, this applies outside Africa as well, doesn't it? The principles of of your recommendations uh, about collaboration. Um, yes, it does. Um, so we are privileged uh, that we are we are part of a global organization. We do work, as I mentioned, in three major regions, um, and a lot of what we are coming to this report with has been learned um, in other spaces as well. So we have our colleagues in Latin America who engage in the same space with comms agencies. Um, honestly, there's also a lot of a lot for us to learn from other regions that have similarities to where we are. Uh, so you think about Kenya, a uh, very literate population, um, very young, um, very digital first. Uh, the same can be said about Colombia and other places like Indonesia where we also fund. Um, so how do we borrow from what has been working in those spaces, uh, whether it's digital natives, whether it's the media organizations that they have, whether it's civil society actors, that are perhaps dealing with different issues, but are engaging in a very similar fashion. And how do we take from that and bring that into our space? Um, but also not to say that there's not a lot that they can learn from us. Um, and I think this report was evidence of that. Um, so if we are thorough in the research that we do, um, and we're looking to increase the amount of information and add to the knowledge out there about strategic communications, uh, there's also a lot that other actors can learn in other space of, spaces from the work that we're doing in Africa. Now, we talk to stratcoms agencies on a kind of daily basis about the um, the increasing amount of work they're doing around ESG and social impact um, and environmental impact in particular. The, I, I'm surprised to hear there's there's so many barriers to collaboration. Can you talk a little bit more about why this hasn't been joined up until now? Um, as I mentioned earlier, the communication firms are businesses. Um, so it's, it, I think it's, it would be unfair to say that non-for-profit actors cannot afford to pay for them. Uh, but I think there's a perception that um, they are not willing to pay for this. Um, so it's how do you engage in a way that allows for the PR businesses and comms agencies to understand how to work with social campaigns? Because uh, it also means that there's a bit of a learning exercise to be done here. Um, so I think if you think about the needs of a business, of a corporate entity, as opposed to the needs of a society, um, the way you message yourself, the tone that you use, the length of the campaigns that you run, but also how you measure impact and outcomes is is, is very different. Um, so compared to something like selling soap as opposed to getting people to vote, you cannot measure the return on investment for those two things the same way. Um, so how do we get the change agents to engage with the PR agencies and the comms firms to help them understand how we measure impact, how we measure outcomes? Um, and just taking them on that journey so that they also have the right people in place to do the work. Um, and the same thing to be said about the change agents. Um, many organizations, because of resources, as I said, because of the lack of time, um, do not have the right people in a role. Um, so we've always found that either the executive director or the deputy is one who engages in comms. But if you have someone who's specialized, um, who understands the impact of the work and can then engage with the comms firm to build a campaign that is reflective of this, uh, the outcomes um, are very clear. Uh, we did some work last year around the Kenyan election on voter education and, um, and the campaign around the Kenyan election. We worked with a non-for-profit um, called Article 19 and a comms agency called Saracen. Um, and this was an intent to tackle voter apathy, apathy sorry, um, 
And the way that this campaign was structured was about three months of work. We did research. We identified two locations in Kenya, um, Starehe in Nairobi, and um, one of the areas of the coast as well, Kisauni. Um, so very targeted selections in where the campaign was being run, very youthful communities. But there's also a lot of work done around culture, around language, and how those audiences were engaging with voting. Um, Article 19 had people internally who've done work in comms, who've been active in this sector for about 10 years, who were young, who understood uh, the youthful audience. And then you had Saracen as well, who've engaged with the youthful audience when it comes to sexual reproductive health, whether it's um, consuming consumer products, FMCG. So they understand the language that the youth engages in. And it was a three-month campaign um, that I wouldn't say was flooding the market of information, but it was very targeted, uh, was centered around the candidate's manifesto. Um, and the outcomes from this and how successful the campaign was, was very clear to us. Um, so the, the data showed, um, one, that the youthful audiences were very engaged, were understanding of what was required of them, and their choice not to engage with elections was an active choice. We'd gone to this assuming that there was apathy and people did not vote because they never knew about the elections. Whereas running a campaign that one was informed by research, but also had a feedback cycle to that and help us get to a better point of understanding. And as I said, it was finding a way for these two organizations to work together. Um, I think it's always lazy to assume that money is a barrier, uh, but it's also the time that it took to run the campaign and the rigor that went into the exercise. And it's the synergies that came about by having people in very in two different, in two very different spaces, but with all the strength. Um, coming together to tackle one issue. Uh, the outcomes for us were transformative in how we understand advocacy and communications, uh, but also increasing the awareness and the understanding we have of the Kenyan youth. Um, and I think that is something which will perhaps do a lot more in the future uh, with the benefit of time and a bit more financial resources as well. I imagine when you're talking about reaching youth audiences that digital and social media factor into all of this. What what did you look at in, in that area? Um, that's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say I'm old, but I think it's fair to say that I'm older than perhaps most of the youth in Kenya. Um, and with that campaign, I can use Amka again as an example. Um, we assume that a lot of youth were engaging with news media. Um, it turned out that they were engaging in social media a lot more. And it's also learning uh, quite late in the piece that social media is not one broad basket of tools. Um, some of these audiences, Facebook was a primary source of information. Uh, many of them were either engaging on WhatsApp or on TikTok. Um, so it's understanding how you craft campaigns for that. Are you using video shorts? Are you using tweets? Um, what's the length of the campaign? But then also very importantly, who's a person who is being used to communicate, to communicate that information? Um, ensuring that they are someone who is a credible source uh, but also someone who the youth can engage with. Um, so as we ran that campaign, the WhatsApp campaign was very different to the one that was on Twitter. Um, the use of video, the use of audio, the use of physical installations was something that was done quite intentionally, uh, but also informed by information. Um, so another learning for, for us was not to take a lazy approach in the way we engage with them on those platforms. Um, so as I said, it's not to assume that social media is one thing um there's a lot of differences in how the youth engaging on that um be it demographics based on where they live um the uh, economic status level of, level of education um comes into play um in how they receive information and how they engage with um, influences and other actors in their space 
Okay, can we just let just dial back a bit? You've talked a little bit about some of your findings and, and recommendations, but what are your specific recommendations for um, strategic comms firms and change agents and and funders in this area? I think for funders, um, it's how do we collaborate, um, perhaps to create a basket of funds that change agents and activists and others can tap into to hire staff, to hire agencies, and to create effective communications campaigns. Um, and I say collaborate because outside the financial resources that funders deploy, um, we also have a role as an arbiter of information um, to document, to learn, and to share information about what's working, but also what is not working. Um, so funders can play that role to one fund, uh, but also to document and create a bit of a knowledge man management system that speaks to what is working and what is not working this, in these comms campaigns. I think that would be extremely useful. Um, I think for the change agents, for the for the grantees, the investors that we have is to, I think, appreciate that comms, like anything else within an organization, is a critical function and is more than just social media posts. Um, so to have dedicated staff to that, have dedicated time, have a strategy, uh, but also give creating space for these experts to work within the organization and to ensure that they're grounded in the programmatic work, they understand the strategy. They understand the culture of the organization, but also who the audiences are, well, we felt was quite critical. And um, I think for the comms firms, this one is for them to be aware of the background within which change agents operate. Um, in many of these spaces, they are resource-constrained environments. Um, they require organizations to be dynamic, to be a bit more responsive um, to what's happening on the ground. Um, and it's also perhaps some space for pro bono services that you know, will help them to understand these things a bit better. Um, and then like you've done with other organizations within the space, it's to build partnerships um, and collaborations. As I spoke to uh, previously on the AMCA campaign, the elections in the countries where we're active are events that happen every four or five years, um, but we like to think of them as a cycle. So it's how do you partner with them longer term? How do you come up with products that are uh, cognizant of the financial resources, but also the awareness that a lot of this work perhaps has a much longer horizon than a typical comms and advocacy campaign? Um, how do you set up a plan? And how do you engage with them and ensure that they're learning through that process um, is what we're fi finding. And that's what we'll be proposing um, for those various actors um, over the next few years. Thanks, Stan. Now, you talked briefly um, at the start about the Save Lamu campaign as an example of the potential impact of your proposed more collaborative um, approach. This is dubbed a modern day enactment of uh, David versus Goliath, as it's outlined in the report. Have you got any other pertinent case studies that really kind of bring to life the power of strategic communications and this level of collaboration in affecting real social impact on the ground? Uh, yes, yeah, so I've uh, spoken about AMCA, that was a uh, collaboration between Saracen and uh, Article 19. Um, another example I can speak about is, is a group we work with in South Africa, uh, the International Budget Partnership, um, that started off uh, doing, um, pardon the use of jargon, uh, public sector accountability when it came to budgets um, and how you get citizens to participate on this. Um, they led by a man called Albert Ranzil, and he's been acting in the space for about a decade as well. And 
they do work in informal settlements. And over time, and especially around COVID, they found that there was an issue with the language and the platforms with, with which citizens were engaging with, their, um, with the governments. And they went through that painful journey uh, of using agencies, but also then building capacity internally that was dedicated to comms. Um, it's about four or five years now, they have a campaign called uh, Civic Alani, which is now used um, to engage with the public on, on water, on sanitation, on healthcare. And this is a comms campaign, an advocacy campaign that is now translating across various sectors, uh, but grounded in the citizen. Um, it's it's optimizing for everything um, from how they engage with the data, um, how they live as a community, how they participate, what forums are they coming together um, in to engage, um, what's the understanding of government and the role that they play. And that's been, an, that's been a learning journey of about 10 years, a campaign that has been active for about four years and is learning every day mm. in the way that they reach out to audiences through WhatsApp, um, as opposed to news media. Um, are you sending people to the ground? They've been using USSD and also using polls for the citizens, the citizens to engage with them. And this is one example of an organization that over time has prioritized communication in their work. Um, and as I said, they're now knocking on the right doors we spent the right years and it's leading to change from their work. Uh, but a lot of this is about empowering communities. And it's, I think, something that we're all guilty of in this sector. It's, um, we should not do the work. It's how do we allow communities to take ownership of this work? How do we give them tools and resources that then allow them to engage? And I think as a Kalani by, by IBP South Africa is a very good example of that. Um. It's interesting you talk about the the time scale there, and this is kind of ten years and and still running. This is this is long term committed stuff, isn't it? Not a six month start beginning end campaign. Yeah, that's true. Um, I told us a view. The view that I take is that we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, as I said, it's part of the job that we have is to learn what is working, but also what is not working. Um, IBP South Africa has been around for 10 years. We also work with organizations that are a lot younger than that. Um, so I mentioned Steers um, in Nigeria who've been around for about five years, also did work last year and this year on the Nigerian election. Um, that's a second iteration of that data platform. But a lot of that was, what did we learn from last time? Um, how do we engage better with the audiences? Um, it's are you doing teasers? Is it are you using it's 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 carrots, it's data, it's intelligence, how are you getting that information out there? And how do you ensure that you maintain the credibility that you have as an organization? Um and I think a lot of it is just tied to talent. It's having the right people internally, but also the right people externally and being receptive to feedback. Um and also the view that it's it's all the tension between perfection and progress. As you rightfully said, it's a long journey, it's the steps that get us to the right place. Um, so Steers in Nigeria, I think Big Cabal Media I've mentioned as well, who do a lot of work on youth. It's getting comfortable with speaking about taboo topics um, like sex, like culture, um, that are tied to an individual and giving them agency to determine what happens in their spaces. And it's learning through that process that has helped them to become better about how they engage from that. Um, and as I said, our job as a funder as well is to be an arbiter of that information and to get organizations collaborate. It's how do we get steers to speak to the bank media in Kenya who work with the same audiences? How do we allow them to engage and help the understanding of communication? And then the funding piece becomes easy. 
Um, because organizations want to prioritize this. I was spoken to someone who has lived experience and has found this useful. And I think to ensure that we remain committed to not just being a funder, you know, but also being a learning organization. Um, how do we learn? How do we disseminate that information as well? I think remains quite critical. Mm. Did you have any, were there any surprises for you or any kind of light bulb moments while you're putting this together? I mean, you obviously had a fair idea of of what you what you thought you were going to see, but was there anything that stuck out for you as um, a, a a new bit of um, advice or recommendations that you hadn't assumed was going to um, come out of the research? I think the surprising thing was that some of this information was not new. <laughs> so the comms agencies knew about the changes and the change agents knew about the community and about the comms firms, and it was not the first time that they had engaged. Um, but um, I think a lack of appreciation on both sides was, was becoming a bit evident. Um, so the surprising thing was that there's been instances where they work together, um, but it was issues around feedback cycles. And I think, as I said, a lack of understanding about where these organizations are in their journey. Um, mm-hmm. So we got evidence of campaigns that had not been successful. And that's one of the things that we learned. I can speak about AMCA, I can speak about Decolonize, but if we are not taking those out that haven't worked and learning about what was an issue where it was a friction. Now, how do we fix for that to ensure that these organizations benefit from collaboration? Um, then we are missing a, a, a quite a key step there. Um, so one of the surprises was that there has been attempts to try this. Um, so it's just trying to understand why this never worked. Was it financial resources? Was it talent? Was it time? And then how do we c- come together as an ecosystem to ensure that we're learning from this and building campaigns that are more sustainable and are more impactful? Um, so yeah, that was a surprising thing. That they knew each other, they had done work together, uh, but we perhaps never had an awareness about the ones that had not worked. Um, it's the thing around narrative where we only celebrate successes, but we don't take enough time to celebrate failure and to learn from that yeah. to ensure that we're building better um, for the future as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So when when communications professionals listen to our conversation and they go on and read the Winning Hearts and Minds report, what would you like them to, to do? How would you like them to take action? To help us to understand how to partner and support better. Um, and I'm being very careful about not using the word funding. I think that's always the easy bit. The financial resources are tangible and they're known. Uh, but there are a lot of things as you're working within organizations. Um, because the organizations that we work with, both as the comms firms and the change agents, are, are living organisms. They have cultures, they have people, they have communities they're engaging with. It's how do we get better at understanding those facets of work um, to be better, better partners and to support that better? As I said, is it a question of talent? Is it a question of time? Um, is, it, is it a question of finances? Because um, we take the view at Luminate that we learn and we listen. It's, um, to come to us with feedback as well about uh, feedback as well about what is not working and how we can do things better. Um, so this report doesn't answer all the questions in space. As I said, it's um, it's a first step um, that we hope um, in a longer journey uh, to create space for discourse and to also get feedback about how we can become a better funder and a better partner in this space. And I think that that is true not just for the comms agents, uh, but also for the change actors we're working with. Um, should is it that we need to do better as we structure funding proposals? Do we need to allocate more funding for this type of work on the strategic side? Um, and I think through those conversations, through a better awareness of the work and what is required, um, we do believe that we'll be able to build campaigns that are sustainable um, and impactful um, as well. 
I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second, Stan. Like, what's in it for strategic communications agencies and uh, and other types of comms agencies getting involved in this kind of work? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it, it, it is something that we discussed uh, with Saracen last year. Um, but, so you think about the work that we do at Luminate is to... We're ensuring that people are not excluded, that they have voice, they have opportunity to influence, whether it's the economics, whether it's the outcomes in their spaces. Um, a lot about this is to have tourist economies and democracies that are vibrant, that are also good for business. Um, you look at the entire African continent, the demographics, uh, sometimes we celebrate, but it's a youthful population, about 60%. Um, a lot of that is people who identify as women. It's if we're not responsive to that, if you're not future proofing your business as well, it does there, there there is they have to be incentivized to ensure that the spaces where we're active are the healthy democracies, they allow for people to express themselves. Um because if if in the absence of that, it actually does affect their business as well. Um they do need environments that are conducive for them to continue making profit, uh, but also to ensure that they remain relevant. And they're pushing for the needs of the society because um, we all have a role to play, whether it's the media, whether it's PSOs, whether it's comms agencies, whether it's agents, to ensure that we're contributing, to ensure that our citizens are better informed and that we find ways to hold our governments accountable. Um, and as I said, it's the work that they do their businesses, they should be paid for it. If there's a lack of understanding about the needs of non-for-profit actors, um, it makes it a bit harder for them to get financial incentives from them. Um, so it's less about paying market rates. It's about understanding the business needs. Um, and I think it is a pool of business that has not been tapped into by the comms um, firms um, for the last few years. There's a few of those that are dedicating that space that do work with impact firms like ours, who change actors, uh, do work with government. Um, so there's incentives both on the financial side, but also the non-financial side that I think are quite important. And and it's what can I say, it's low hanging fruit, not enough of this has been done. Um, so there's there's a lot of opportunity for them um, to benefit from this in the future. Okay, great answer, Stan, thank you. Um, thank you so much for your time and talking us through the report. I'll put a link to the Winning Hearts and Minds report in the, in the show notes and to Luminate, so our listeners can uh, see a little bit more about your what you're doing in this context and and beyond. But um, Stan, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you for providing a platform for us to speak about work that we feel is critical um, for the change we want to see in the future. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.